Our second reading is uh, taken from Romans, chapter 1, verses 18. We're going to read through to chapter 2, verse 5. It's found on page 796. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you are a mere man, you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Then his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. I'd encourage you to keep open that uh, passage that we just read from Romans. We're continuing, uh, if you've been amongst us before, we're continuing our working through uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, but let's pray that God might speak to us plainly this morning. 
Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the many comforts that are found within your word and we thank you as well for uh, the uncomfortable and challenging parts of it. Uh, We ask that uh, this morning you would humble us before your word, uh, speak to us plainly, help us uh, to love even difficult parts, help us to love what you love and hate what you hate, help us to be reshaped in the image of Christ. Father, by your spirit, apply this word deeply within our hearts and minds, we pray. Amen. We come to a confronting passage this morning. Perhaps you found it confronting as Dean just read from Romans to us. Uh, Last week's opening verses, if you're amongst us, uh, it was full of excitement. Uh, We had Paul's excitement over God's good news. There was there was excitement about Jesus' resurrection to become our Lord. There was there was excitement with as Paul shared at the start of Romans, uh, his plan. I'm going to come and visit you, and, and we're going to encourage each other. There's going to be a great time of strengthening each other's faith, and, and and there was joy in in that opening section of Romans as he as he gave thanks for a worldwide faith that they have, and his excitement in the gospel. But but today's passage uh, speaks of wrath, of human wickedness of degradation, perversion and depravity. Uh, All words I just took straight from that text. It speaks of judgment and condemnation. Uh, It's a confronting part of the Bible. Uh, Yet as someone put it, we must begin low to build high. We must dig down deep and get to the very depths that we might build high. If we're ever going to appreciate the joy and the wonder of the gospel, be amazed at how it is that we can stand right with God, then we must be confronted with the dark depths of ours and others' situation. We must begin low to build high. You know, just before, just moments before, where Dean picked up the reading in in 116, Paul talked about his pride. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Implied there in those words is, is that we need saving. So before Paul can go on and talk about uh, how the gospel works, how this power of salvation works out, he has has to get us all on the same page. He has to get us all recognising the deep need we have for salvation. He takes us low that he might build us high. Because for many people, uh, salvation isn't something they have a desperate need of. Yeah, we go over the headlines. Obviously, there are some people out there who need salvation. We all agree with, you know, Abu Bakr Bashir has, has at last been brought to justice uh, for his role in masterminding the Bali bombings and, and the death of over 200 people. And there'd be, I, I think, general agreement, there is a guy who needs saving. He's, you know, desperately needing help. And yes, this week, uh, a, a ring of pedophiles was broken, uh, an evil and depraved practice, and those perpetrators too, you all would agree, they need saving. But is it that salvation is really that pressing for the average person that we, that we sit next to on the train or, or for my neighbour who invites me over for Christmas drinks or, or that lovely people, those lovely, that lovely person who volunteers their time on the weekend to, to coach junior sport? You know, nice folk. Now, how many Australians would have on their list of five-year goals must secure salvation? Now, this morning, we need, to, we need to begin low that we might in time build high. Now this morning we're going to have quite an ugly picture of ourselves uh, and our, our friends and neighbours that in the coming weeks we might see the beauty of the gospel. A simple but confronting point that all humanity is under God's wrath for exchanging the truth of him for a lie. 
We'll look at both parts as we delve into this passage. First, I want us to see how we've exchanged the truth of God for lies before we see God's wrath revealed in how he gives us up. See, Paul makes it clear uh, the bad deal, uh, as our kids' church did as well, our kids' talk did as well, that bad deal that we have universally engaged in. Uh, in verse 18, 118, we have suppressed the truth of God by wickedness. In verse 21, we've, we've neither given God the thanks or the glory that he deserves. But the repeated image Paul uses throughout this section is that of a series of poor decisions and bad exchanges. Uh, in verse 23, we exchange the glory of God for, uh, of the immortal God for images. Now, in our wisdom, we make this foolish swap of idolatry. Luther um, helpfully spoke of idolatry. He said this, a God is the term for that to which we are to look for all good and in which we are to find a refuge in all need. Therefore, to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in that one with all your whole heart. As I've often said, it is the trust and faith of the heart alone that makes God an idol. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, that is really your God. You know, we, we may not carve a statue. You, you don't see your neighbours doing that kind of bowing down in that way. But in our family life or, or our mortgage or our career or in our pleasure and comfort, we give creation that kind of love and honour and dependence that is rightfully our creators. Uh, as verse 25 sums it up with that second exchange, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served created things rather than the creator. And the series of exchanges goes on in verse 26, the next exchange. Uh, even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. You know, what Paul does, he, he particularly highlights the expression of, of our rejection of God in, in sexual relations. You know, it might be because um, idolatry and immorality were deeply linked in Gentile culture. Uh, in Gentile culture of the first century, you went to a pagan temple, you would actually worship by engaging a temple prostitute and sleeping with them, male or female. It might be that. It might be, though, because you know, what happens when we reject the ultimate relationship with our Creator, our God, it flows quickly to the most intimate of relationships and human relationships and then, as we see, flows on into all sorts of other practices. You know, what Paul raises here in Romans uh, chapter 1 was as contentious as in, in his society as it is ours. Uh, homosexuality in the first century, just like ours in the 21st century, was actually approved by mainstream Greek culture. I'm going to step aside a little. I realise that um, verse 26 to 28, uh, as it speaks of homosexual activity, doesn't sit with our culture any more than it does with his of the day. I realise, um, as we read confronting words like that, that many of us would know and love homosexual people. Uh, some of us may even struggle with homosexual inclinations. Just a side note on it. Uh, the Bible is clear. Homosexual activity is sin. But as you can see from this long list here, it's not the only sin. Yeah, the Bible is clear that the sin is not in the inclination but in the action, in the practice of it, in the same way that you know, I'm inclined to be selfish but I'm only guilty if I fail to resist and actually start acting selfishly. You know, the Bible is also clear that homosexuality activity is not unforgivable, but like all sin, it needs to be repented of. 
There's more that can be said. I, I kind of stepped aside on this because I know it's a contentious issue and it, and it may be that this is a struggle for you, either a struggle that the teaching of the Bible might be struggle, a struggle for you to accept or it might be that the lifestyle is a struggle. Uh, you know, let's engage in more prayerful conversation if that's the case. Back to Paul's general point though, what he's doing is he's holding up a mirror to our wickedness in exchanging God and God's ways for our own. That is, he, he brings us low that he might build us up high. Yeah, it's clear from this section Paul has in mind all sin. Uh, he, he, covers, he covers our affections and our loves in that idolatry of, of 19 to 25 where we put our heart. You know, he covers our senses as he moves on in 26 to 28 and our sensuality. He, he even covers our thinking. You may have noticed in verse 28, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You know, yes, it's true, he, he does highlight some sins, but by the time you get to verse 29 and following, you, you see it's not an exhaustive or, or selective list. He's just kind of doing this, this scattergun of making it clear. It's a generally, general attack on every expression of sin. You know, our bad exchange is all about sin. Uh, it's also about sin at all levels. You know, it, it covers in this list here that the sin we actively engage in, like in verse 19, where the truth of God is intentionally pushed down and suppressed, or in verse 32, where it's this kind of considered rejection of God. But he also covers the passive sins. You know, like in verse 21, failing to thank or glorify God properly. And I went out to seek to do it, you just failed to do it. Yeah. Or in 32, where uh, there is this sin in approving what others do. It's not necessarily you join in and do what they do, but rather you just kind of affirm, yeah, that's fine for you to go and do. This kind of passive sin. It's sin at all levels. Uh, it's sin from the, the, you know, the big sins of, of murder in verse 29 to what we'd see is probably a minor infringement, you know, a bit of parental disobedience, uh, though some days we might see that as more major than others. You know, in verse, uh, all through this, our bad exchange is about sin at every level. And it's about the sin of all people. Now, running through the list... Uh, it may seem at first that it's a particularly Gentile attack, you know, idolatry, sexual immorality, but Paul doesn't explicitly single the Gentiles out. Uh, in fact, he plays with some Old Testament quotes. So there's a quote from Psalm 106, verse 20, that says, they exchange their glory, speaking of God, they exchange their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass. Sounds awfully like the language of Romans there, and it's speaking about God's own people, the Jews. I think what Paul's doing is he intentionally wants it to be ambiguous, that you're seeing that it's, it's all people. It's not just Jews, not just Gentiles. It's, all, it's an exchange we've all engaged in. And if you've missed that point, like if you've managed to read through the list to the end of chapter 1 and kind of thought to yourself, feeling all right here, I haven't been ruthless lately, uh, I've got a bit of a heart going on, um, haven't disobeyed my parents for years, isn't it great living out of home? Uh, you know, if, if you're feeling that way and feeling a touch smug, 2 verse 1, he catches everyone. You therefore have no excuse who you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now Paul speaks bluntly about this exchange of the truth of God to, to live a life of lies. He brings us low that we might be built high. Three, three 
implications about this state of sin, if we truly grasp the depth of sin and the, the poor decision and exchange that we as people have made. First is that God has revealed himself and so we are without excuse. All are without excuse. Now, Romans 1 makes it clear that there is such a thing as God's general revelation, that he has made himself known. In verse 19, he has chosen to make himself clearly known, his existence known through creation. That is accessible to all. Anyone who's been created, anyone who exists, they had the opportunity to know this. Uh, just this week, I, I had a conversation with someone uh, who raised that question, what about the person who's never heard of God? And Romans 1 says that person doesn't exist. There is no such person. Because God has chosen to reveal himself to all, so by the end of verse 20, people are without excuse for not treating him as he deserves. A second implication, though, if we grasp just how deep this, this problem of sin and the bad exchange we've made is that people won't listen. You know, although God has uh, given him a knowledge of himself universally in creation, the results are only negative. Not because God has been unclear, but because people muddy that clarity themselves. That They hide it. They, in verse 20, they willfully reject God. And the tragedy of it is, it's not like it was this kind of well-thought-out and well-considered decision that people make. Uh, it's a decision driven, in verse 18, by morality. It's by their wickedness. It's by their desires to do certain behaviour that they suppress the truth of God, the knowledge of God. It's not so much that they are ignorant of God that they choose to ignore God. Sin is so deeply within us that it's not that we can't hear God, but by nature we don't want to. And we shouldn't therefore be surprised when we speak to others of God and despite them, uh, you know, maybe even agreeing with the the quality of your argument or the, the evidence that they will refuse to believe. A man I shared the gospel with, man I, I had the opportunity to read the Bible with, uh, happily agreed, yep, it made sense, but he refused to follow Christ because it would cost his family and cost him too much. Now, now don't get me wrong, family is a good gift of creation, but he had exchanged that good gift of creation for the Creator. Uh, it was sad, but according to Romans 1, not surprising. The third thing, though, if we really grasp it, is we need to see the depth of our own sin rather than others. It is tempting to read a passage like this and think, yeah, what an awfully accurate description it is of my neighbour. Yeah, Paul really nailed him there. Uh, Even even after uh, God brings about new life in in us, his people, through Christ, by his spirit, that, that inclination to idolatry is still there. It's always warring within uh, when eventually we, we might get to Romans 7, uh, Paul, uh, you know, Paul, the, the spirit-filled, God-anointed apostle, you know, he speaks still of the good he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the evil he doesn't want to do, he still does. You know, it's still at war within us. We seem to see the depth of sin still within us. It's so easy to see the fault within others and gloss over that which is in ourselves. And, and if, that's, if that's your tendency, if that's your habit, kind of minimise your own sin but see perfectly clearly the, the faults of others, then watch out. 2 verse 3 warns against that kind of judgmental attitude because in verse 4, if you have that kind of attitude, it shows a contempt for the way God is slow to pass judgment rather than swift. 
You know, a judgmental attitude like that is a sure sign that you don't understand your sin and how you naturally stand before God. One of the great uh, servants of Christ, a Scotsman named Robert Murray McChain, uh, he poured out his life proclaiming Christ. He, he, um, he tragically died um, before his 30th birthday, uh, held up by many as a, a man of great piety and courage and gospel-heartedness. If you've never read his biography by a guy called Andrew Bonner, you should. It's great. Uh, but challenging and yet you read his diaries this great you know seemingly righteous godly gospel man and and he was under no illusions about his natural state he wrote this our wicked heart taints all we say and do hence the need of continual atonement in the blood of jesus we must have daily hourly pardons and again he spoke of the nearer you take anything to the light the darker its spots will appear and the nearer you live to god the more you see your own utter vileness you know, that, that language might be a little old-fashioned, but you know, what Machain wisely did is he, he looked and saw the depth of his own sin and that freed him to serve others in the gospel, not judge them. So Romans 1 is, is bringing us low that we, we might be built high. It is plain about the foolish exchange that, that humans do and it is plain about where that leaves us before God. It's that second feature we need to grasp, that, that God's wrath is revealed in giving us up. Back in one eighteen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of men. God, God cares about sin. Now, his wrath is upon it. Strange and and outdated as it might sound, our God is a wrathful God. And that's actually a good thing. It's good because it's it's not a a, a capricious or irrational anger. It's not like the way I get impatient with traffic when I'm running late for an appointment because of my own fault. It's not that kind of anger. It's it's a considered condemnation and hatred of evil. Uh, in 2 verse 2, it is a judgment based on truth. Yeah, and we want to say that's actually a good thing. You know, God's wrath on, on random bombings in Bali, you know, his wrath on, on systematic child abuse, you know, for God's wrath not to be raised at wickedness, there would be something wrong with his moral compass, wouldn't there? You know, for, for wrath is actually the companion of love. A truly monstrous God is the one who would remain indifferent to evil. And 1 verse 18 is clear. God's wrath is raised and it is being revealed in the history of the world. His wrath is not just a future experience, it's actually a present one. His wrath is shown in the way he hands us over. So that's the, the pattern of what God does. Just in the pattern in Romans 1 of what we do is, is if we make bad exchanges, his is a pattern of handing us over. Um, verse 24, because humanity exchanged his glory for idols, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. In verse 26, because, because they served created things rather than creator, he, he gave them over to lusts and degradations. Again, verse 28 does the same thing. Because humanity willfully refused, we don't want to know you, he gave them over to a depraved mind. God reveals his wrath by letting us have what we want in this world. In the face of evil, people do ask, and rightly ask the question, why didn't God do anything? Where's God? Why didn't he do anything in this? 
And this is not the full answer, but, but part of it from Romans 1 is that he did do something. In his wrath, he gave us over to see just what it's like to run the world apart from his perfect ways. He did do something. C.S. Lewis explains how we the lost, or, or our society the lost, enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore enslaved. The horrible freedom of having our own way. In his wrath he gives us over. Now, of course that's on his final display of his, his hatred of sin. 2 verse 5 speaks of a final day of wrath, a day when uh, righteous judgment will be seen in full. Now, just as Paul is clear about our natural state, he is painfully blunt about God's response. Now, after reading this section, you, you can start to see why it is Paul is so proud of the gospel. Remember what he said in one sixteen: he's not ashamed, he's proud. God's power for salvation, because with, with the deserved wrath of God bearing down upon us, we need saving. We all need saving. Yeah, and, and human evil, sinfulness, is not just a, a reminder of God's wrath now, but a reminder there is a greater wrath to come that can be escaped. Yeah, if anything, Romans 1 teaches, teaches us that sin should never surprise us. In fact, we should expect human evil as God reveals his wrath. Now, Paul's list from verse 29 on you know wickedness, evil, greed, depravity... Uh, envy, murder, strife, deceit. Isn't that basically a, a description of primetime television? You know, gossip and slander are the norm for most offices. A church in Vancouver just this week uh, lost its property because it refused to, to slide with society and approve of homosexual practice as a form of godliness. You know, and sad as this is, we shouldn't be shocked because we live under God's wrath in this world as we enjoy forever the horrible freedom we've demanded. Yeah, but the benefit of not being shocked, the benefit of knowing that when we see sin, that's a sign of God's wrath being revealed in, in part. You know, the benefit of that is that in every instance of sin for us is a reminder there is a greater judgment to come that can be escaped. Yeah, and that's Paul's assumption in 2 verse 5, that, that God's kindness in revealing it in part, not all his wrath, is that people might come to repentance. And so next time your, offer, your, your name is, is slandered uh, you know, in, the, in the mother's group, uh, around the office, you know, next time your, your boss acts ruthlessly with you, next time your child disobeys you, use it as a reminder we are under God's wrath and a greater day is coming. And so when you see that kind of sin, be inspired, proclaim the power of the salvation of gospel. Now this year is, uh, we keep saying, uh, if you're here amongst us regularly, we keep saying this is our year, 2011, the year of reaching those we know. Uh, there are all sorts of reasons we have that as a kind of motto. You know, living, living Christway is the best way to live. That's one of the great reasons. You know, God is worthy of praise. We want other people to do it. That's another great reason. But one massive reason is that unless we reach those we know with Christ, they stand without excuse under the wrath of God. A woman on her deathbed said to John Newton, you often spoke to me of Christ, but oh, you did not tell me enough about my danger. In the face of human evil, we mustn't shy from speaking the truth of the wrath we're under and the wrath that is to come. 
Now, Romans 1 is a confronting uh, and uncomfortable pa- pa- passage. You know, this morning we've, we've begun low that uh, in weeks to come we will build high. Because you know, only as we see the, the depths and the reality of our sin and the seriousness of God's wrath that we might appreciate fully and be fully proud and unashamed of the great gospel we know of. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we are thankful for your word, even the hard parts. We are thankful that you are a God who hates sin and that you take it seriously. Father, as we see your wrath revealed in our world, in our community, in our lives, we ask that it would push us all the more Uh, to lean on your kindness and repent. And Father, we pray that uh, we too uh, would make known your mercy as well as your wrath to those around us. And in your kindness, we pray that you would be opening people's hearts and minds to be able to see the truth of you and to stop making that foolish exchange of lies for the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.